Saints, I want to ask that you would turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. It's in the middle of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 today. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1 through verse 11. And if you would stand with me one more time for the reading of God's Word. It reads, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks, I planted in, in them all kinds of fruit trees, I made myself pools from, wa- from which to water all the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to, to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had before been in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my heart, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them. I kept my heart from no, no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This morning, I want to preach to you on the topic, the vanity of pleasure. The vanity of pleasure. Pray with me once again, Father. We ask that you would help us as I preach your word. Give me clarity. I pray that I would speak your truths, not merely my ideas, that you would open our hearts to be shaped and formed by your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. question as we begin, can yesterday's pleasure satisfy today's cravings? Yesterday perhaps you had a great meal. I wonder if that would satisfy your longing for more food today. 
Perhaps in the past you had a deep conversation with a friend. I wonder if that deep conversation satisfies your longing for friendship today. Perhaps yesterday wine filled you with lightness and a glad heart. And I wonder if today that same wine consumed yesterday has satisfied your desire for lightness and a glad heart. Perhaps yesterday you had all the joys of intimacy. I wonder if that satisfies your longing for intimacy today. Perhaps yesterday you spent all your money on a fat blunt, and now you're feeling low and need another high, and I wonder if that blunt yesterday satisfies your longing today. Are you with me? The point is this, the pleasures of yesterday never satisfy the longings of today. Since pleasures of earth don't last, they don't satisfy. We need a pleasure that lasts. One more bite, one more partner, one more hit, one more drink, maybe just one more, maybe just one more. And so we strategize and we save and we invest believing that just a little bit more pleasure will finally fulfill the craving that we have. And every time, every day, every hour, we are lied to. And it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. In the book of Proverbs, another wisdom literature, there's two ladies. One is named Lady Folly. And Lady Folly is out in the streets and she is wooing you and she is beckoning you, calling you to come to her house because in her house there is fun. In Lady Folly's house there is pleasure, there is a quick fix. All of the pleasures of sin, all of the pleasures of earth are there in this house. And she's saying, come on in for a good time. Come on in for a party where you got friends. And so you're heading down Lady Folly's house and everybody's going there and everybody's walking in and you walk in with everybody else until the, the stench of death begins to emanate from the floorboards and you realize once it's too late that there's poison in the water. The bodies underneath the floorboards tell the tale. The fact that people are pouring into Lady Folly's house and they're not coming out tells the whole story. Are you searching for fulfillment in the pleasures of this earth? And are you tired of the fact that over and over you buy the lie that earthly pleasures sell and you're left unsatisfied? Is anybody tired of all the time that has been wasted seeking after fulfillment and pleasure? Is anybody tired of all the money you've spent seeking in fulfillment, fulfillment in the pleasures of the earth? Are you exhausted? left with broke bank accounts and broke relationships and broke bodies as a result. Now the book of Ecclesiastes, this is a wisdom book for us and it's teaching something about the meaning of life. And as we've begun here, this is our third part, looking at all of the various ways that we could potentially find meaning in this world without God. And so in part one, we saw the, the, the author is seeking meaning in success, and there's no meaning there. 
He then turns and he says, well, maybe I could find meaning in knowledge if I can just accrue as much knowledge as possible. And he finds that also to be vanity. Today in part three, he turns to pleasure. In verse one, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. It's almost as if he's saying, okay, so uh, uh, success, that didn't bring ultimate fulfillment. Knowledge, that didn't bring me ultimate fulfillment. Come on, come on, heart. I'm going to test you with something else. He's not testing pleasure as much as he is testing his heart with pleasure, you see. Let's give this another experiment. Maybe my heart can find some kind of ultimate meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment in pleasure. In pleasure. He defines it. He says, enjoy yourself. That's what pleasure is. Just seeking to enjoy myself. Now, few people have had the opportunity to test pleasure like this man. Few people, I don't know if you realize this, I don't know if you've learned this by experience as I have, but pleasure is expensive. You know what I'm saying? Like most of us go broke on this experiment trying to find meaning in pleasure. This man seems to have unlimited resources. Nobody can test pleasure like this guy. And I want you to, just in case, just in case you're the kind of person who would say, oh, well, of course he's going to tell us that there's no uh, uh, meaning in pleasure because look at all he has. It's easy for him to say he's got all the pleasures in the world. And I want to turn that and say, no, actually, he's the one that can speak to you who, are, who is seeking after pleasure, thinking, man, if I could just get more money so I could have more pleasure, I would be okay. I want you to walk away from that foolishness and hear the man uh, uh, who's been there done that. And what he's saying is, is, look, I've had it all. I have kept my heart from nothing. And I am here to tell you it is all a waste. It is vanity, it is like searching after the wind. He says, uh, verse two, he says, I said of laughter, it is mad. I said of pleasure, what use is it when it's gone? His experiment is to look at the delicacies of all of the earth, minus God, and ask himself, can that equal satisfaction? This whole minus God thing, that's, that's the basis of Ecclesiastes. Can we take out the, the vertical and just look at the horizontal and find fulfillment without God in this world? In verse 3, he tells us his method. He says he's looking under heaven, meaning he's not taking into account what is above heaven. In verse 9, he says there's nothing to be gained under the sun. Can I find pleasure in this world without God? And what he's doing is he's proving with his experiment, which is kind of like a lifelong testimony of an experiment for him, he's proving that the pleasure seeker fails on his own premises, that there's no pleasure in pleasure. And so the question I want to ask us today, you people, is this. Is there more? Is there more than just pleasure? Can we find more? The Bible at the very beginning explains that we were at once in total communion with God. Adam and Eve, they were created in this beautiful and put into this beautiful garden, and in this garden they walked with God. 
and they had complete joy and complete satisfaction. What was glorious in the garden, therefore, was not just the fruit trees, but rather the presence of God. Meaning God was the glory of the garden. Yes, the body of their spouse, the fruits, the gardens, the animals, they all were there for their enjoyment and for their pleasure, but the pleasure in the garden was God. And what sin did is sin turned gifts into gods. Isn't this original sin? They were tempted with what? Pleasure. Eve looks at the fruit and says, it is pleasing to the eyes. And so Eve then begins to worship the creation instead of the creator. And at that point, everything spirals in pursuit now of pleasure. As we've turned good gifts into gods, man tramples over man in order to find pleasure. Nations war with one another to protect their pleasures. A man kills another for robbing his pleasure. We are defeated by pleasure itself. And as we look around our modern society, in some ways, the luxuries that we have in our society, and I'm talking about the regular life that we live, the luxuries we have today competes with what this man had thousands of years ago. Meaning we live in a society where pleasure is at hand. Entertainment, music on your phone, like things that people would have paid so much money for in the past, like we have it in our pockets. Pleasure is at hand. Pleasures have increased, yet statistics tell us that we are more depressed as a society than ever. According to an article in Psychology Today, it says, despite many years of lengthening lifespan, slight decreases in life expectancy have been observed in the United States in recent years. The Center for Disease Control highlights that drug overdoses, liver disease, and suicide are three major contributors to the recent decrease in life expectancy. It goes on to say that, the, that what the study has shown is that the pursuit of pleasure is not making Americans happy. So question, saints, can God satisfy us beyond the pleasures of this world? Since these pleasures of this earth don't last, they ultimately fail. Since the pleasures of God last, God fulfills. That's my sermon right there. Three lessons I want to draw out from this text. Lesson number one, God pleases when the pleasures of life fail. God pleases when the pleasures of life fail. Look at verse 3. He says, I searched within my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He's saying, all right, what, what do godless people do to get by? In this short existence that we have, on these couple days, in these couple days that we have, what do godless people do to cheer themselves up? What do they do for enjoyment? And he looks at them and he says, they are an inebriated bunch. 
And so he heads down to the liquor store and he buys some wine and whiskey and he seeks to cheer himself. That word cheer right there, it means to be drawn away by or be held, which is interesting because likely the same author in Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 4, says, draw me after you, speaking of God. Can the wine and the whiskey draw me away to some kind of place of safety? Can the Patron draw me away to ultimate bliss? Can the cognac hold me fast in a fading world? And so he picks up a bottle of Hennessy and the next morning he wakes up with a headache and a, and a sour stomach and he throws the bottle across the room and he says, it is all vanity. It's a waste. He looks at the wine and he says, it's just a vanishing vapor. Like the guy at my gym who recently when he came in with a hangover and, and he confessed to me, he says, it is fun getting drunk, but it is miserable being drunk. And it is terrible the next day. Listen, if you're going to the bottle to find satisfaction, the first step is to recognize and to know that the bottle has lied to you. You're actively being lied to. It will not satisfy your longings, your cravings. Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 4. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought us into his chambers, saints. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love, for your love is better than wine. You're at the liquor store. You're thinking, maybe just one more bottle will do it. And in that moment, God is wooing you, and he's saying, my love is better than wine. One more hit. If I can just get one more hit. And as you're walking to the corner to get one more hit, God is in your face and he is wooing, and he, wooing you and he's saying, run away with me. I've brought you into my home. Come with me and rejoice in me and rejoice with me. One more piece of cake, one more bowl of ice cream and God is in your face and he's saying, come away with me. Find pleasures, not in the things of this world, but with me. Find fulfillment not in what you can find in your refrigerator, but find it in me, he says. You see, when the high of your joint fades, the darkness returns. And as that final darkness descends, as that final darkness one day falls upon you, the darkness of death, my question is this, how will your joint sustain you then? How will the substances of this world hold you on that last day? Oh, they have lied to you. They will fail you. But as Kelsey read this morning, Psalm 139, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. And a light about me be night. 
Oh, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Oh, friends, my friends who are using substances to find your satisfaction, let me call you to not depend on alcohol, to not depend on your weed, to not depend on your psychedelics, to not depend on the fentanyl and the heroin. Confess your idolatry. Confess the fact that you've been listening to lies. Confess your need for help, and I want you to know that God hasn't left you, but God right now is wooing you to come to him. Will you run to him? Will you say enough is enough? God is my God. In him I find hope. In him I find satisfaction. In him I find fulfillment. Oh, God pleases us when uh, the pleasures of life fail. Second lesson I want to draw out here is that God creates when the pleasures of creation fail. God creates when the pleasures of creation fail. In verses four through eight, it's as if he then goes on, he, he goes on to say, okay, so mind-altering substances are not going to satisfy me. Let's go ahead and check out the pleasures of creation. Let's see if I can build a mansion. Let's see if I can build enough stuff. Let's see if I can accumulate enough stuff to bring me pleasure and finally satisfy me. In verses four through six, one commentator wisely points out that the words that are used here in verses four through six actually parallel the words that are used in Genesis chapter one, verse two. Let me read it to you. He says in verse, verse four, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made something. Vineyards, gardens. I made gardens and parks and planted them. All kinds of fruit trees. It kind of sounds a little bit like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. We'll stop there. This is a nice piece of real estate, isn't it? Like, you know, maybe some of us are thinking, man, like this, my little apartment that I live in doesn't compare to all of the glories of this, this uh, little piece of real estate that, that he has. But it, he's speaking to you. Because we think, you know, if I can just get a little bigger place, if I can get a nicer place or a nicer block or whatever, I could make for myself a little slice of heaven. I could create in my home some kind of sacred space. If I could just get the house with the granite countertops and the patio, I could, I could finally rest. I could finally, I, I could go in there and all the problems of the world would be out there and I would be in my own little heaven. And then we get there and we realize there's still a problem in the house. And it's me. It's the fact that I walked into my house and I brought the problems of the world into my home. You see, the problem in seeking pleasure is that we believe that we can be God and create for ourselves heaven on earth. Create for ourselves a new Eden for our good and for our benefit. And I think that's what the author is showing us here. He has tried to create for himself an Eden, if you would. And this creation metaphor kind of goes on as his godlike persona continues. 
Now that he has his new garden of Eden, he needs people in it to subdue the land. And so in verse 7, he buys for himself slaves, men and women. And as humans procreate, and as God put humans in the garden to subdue it, and they are called to make more human beings to subdue it, he says, my slaves had babies, and they were born into my garden. He goes on from there, and, and he says that uh, uh, he has, in verse 7, animals, herds. In verse 8, he's got treasures of all kind, gold and silver. He has live entertainment. He brings in the best singers. And in verse 8, all of this becomes the context for unhinged sexual pleasure. In verse 8, he says, I've got many concubines. That's a uh, sort of like a wife, if you would. He had many, many concubines, and he calls them the delight of the sons of men. I want you to look at the selfishness in these verses. In verse 4, he says, for myself. Verse 5, I made myself. Verse 6, I made myself. Verse 7, my house. Verse 8, I had great possessions. And verse, uh, verse, verse 9, for myself. You see, when we live for pleasure, we stop thinking about the other person and we just start thinking about myself. When we live to find our fulfillment in the things that this world can provide, we get consumed by our own desires and our own space, our own health, our own sanity, our own pleasure becomes the God that we serve. Pleasure then turns people into products for selfish purposes. Look at the abuse. Look at the abuse here. He, he, he takes men and women who are created in the image of God and he turns them into slaves to keep, keep up his property. The dehumanization. The dehumanization continues as he looks at all of his concubines and he says that they are just the delight of man. The dehumanization of women turned into objects for sexual gratification. Bodies disconnected from souls, which become objects for lustful desires. Man, what a confession this is. This guy is being brutally honest. No wonder he's writing with a pen name. What a testimony for us. Listen, the Garden of Eden without the presence of God is hell on earth. In other words, it's almost as if he's saying, run after your gardens. Go ahead and buy your jewelry. Trample over each other in order to find your delights. Go ahead and look, uh, dive deep into the, the depths of pornography. Spend money on sex. Turn women into objects. Try to find your satisfaction and fulfillment in men. And go from one man to another man, they will all disappoint. Turn your spouse into a servant for your pleasure, and you will be left disappointed and loveless and jaded. Look, how much of our sin is us playing God, trying to create our own heaven on earth without Him? How much of our sin is trying to recreate Eden, and we say we want the delights of Eden, but we just don't want God there. 
Yet all the while, God is in the background and he's beckoning us and he's wooing us. Oh, I wonder if anybody knows here that the presence of God satisfies. God came to earth while we are on earth trying to build our heaven without him. God came to earth and brought heaven to us. And he dies for our idolatry. He dies for our injustice. He dies for our selfishness. Then behold, he says, he is making all things new. Oh, sinner, trapped in your sin, in your pursuit of fulfillment and pleasure on this earth, I want you to see the Savior and know that even now as you turn to Him, He'll fill you with His Spirit. As you trust in Him, the Bible says that He gives us in Christ every single spiritual blessing. He holds nothing back and He gives you satisfaction and He gives you pleasure and He gives you enjoyment in Him because that's where it is to be found. You see, as we have created something that has failed us, God is not done recreating. He's creating something new in us now spiritually, and one day he's creating something new physically. He's coming again, and there's going to be a tree planted, and that tree is going to grow, and the, the, the leaves of the tree will bring healing to the nations. In this garden, God will live at the center and Christ will receive all the glory and we will live there in utter joy, in utter enjoyment, in, enjoyment, in utter total satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus Christ, a recreated Eden. God creates new life in us and is recreating when the pleasures of your creation fail. That's my second lesson. Third lesson is this, and we're almost done. God works when the pleasures of work fail. When the pleasures of work fail, God works. Verse 9. He says, So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Oh, I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart had found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Man. He says, I, I, I kept my heart from no pleasure. Again, so few of us could ever speak with such confidence as this man. Very few of us could say that we have the resources to keep our heart from every pleasure. But he did. And he went all in, head first, to see if he could find fulfillment. And he's coming out the other side saying, don't try that. There's nothing there. The irony about pleasure is that it takes work. He says, I toiled for this pleasure. And the, res the result of all of my toils, the reward of all of my work was pleasure itself. And then he's asking himself, was it all worth it? because it's gone. My whole life of work is, is gone because my pleasures don't last. Now, I want to ask a question at this point that I think is very, very important. Is seeking pleasure wrong? 
Before you say no, let me just remind you that every one of us in this room wants some tasty lunch as soon as the service is over. Like, I doubt any of you are going to say, what is the most bland meal we can find because Joel's sermon was so convicting? No, you're still going to seek pleasure. Isn't that interesting? I doubt any of you will choose to sleep on a concrete floor tonight if you have a bed to sleep in. Just because Joel's sermon was so convicting. But rather, we desire a warm place to sleep. My dog seeks food every day. My cat seeks enjoyment and pleasure sitting on my lap, purring, and I constantly am pushing the thing off, and he jumps back on, and I push it off, and I call Ramona. I'm like, would you please take this cat, because for some reason she loves cats so much. Every creature seeks pleasure, God, meaning this. Listen, God has made us this way. God has wired us to seek after pleasure. And it actually stains us and keeps us alive. So seeking after pleasure is actually not a bad thing. Bad religion would say, oh, you should avoid all pleasure and only hope in God. Well, that doesn't make any sense because pleasure is given to us by God. But then the opposite is for the irreligious who says, well, then just consume pleasure because I don't see God. Consume pleasure because there is no God. And maybe that's you. Maybe you are somebody who is pursuing your fulfillment and satisfaction in the things of this world, in your substances, in your food, in your home, in your house, in, in, in your partners, whatever that might be for you. And you are putting your hope there. And every day you're on this endless spiral of seeking satisfaction and pleasure. And it never seems to satisfy. Now what I'm saying is this. You might believe in God. You might claim to believe in God. You might actually believe in God. But you are acting as if you don't. You are living as a practical atheist. Saying that there is nothing above the heavens. And I'm only going to find meaning under the sun. You see, the Christian says, I hope in God. I find my fulfillment in God. I find my satisfaction in God. And God is the giver of pleasure. Meaning, what's our relationship with pleasure? If God is the giver of it, well, like the giver of all things, creation, if we allow it, will master you. Pleasure is given by God to serve you so that you might serve Him. What happens in sin is that what is a good gift becomes a God and we begin to serve pleasure. Pleasure begins to control us. Pleasure begins to master over us. So what's our relationship with pleasure? Well, recognize that pleasure is good and recognize that pleasure is dangerous. It's dangerous. Got to be careful. You've got to have accountability. You've got to get help. You've got to walk with brothers and sisters. Pleasure, then, thirdly, is to be stewarded by us to point us to God, to point us upward. Look at verse 11. He says, Then I considered that all my hands had done and the toil I expended doing it, and behold, all was vanity. 
and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Oh, saints, we see through a glass dimly. And Lady Folly is calling our name, and Lady Folly, she has something concrete for us to offer us. But God is the creator of all pleasure. And if God is the creator of all pleasure, then what does Lady Folly have to offer? Here's my point. Like, here's, here's a piece of art that my son Chapman made. Can you all see it? It's really, really cool. All right, I love it. Um, my, my son's art, however, does not communicate to you the fullness of who he is. It's actually not greater than him. It's a product of, of his greatness. Meaning my son's art, when I see it, I don't like fall in love with this and forget about him and say, I just want to like have this for the rest of my life. But rather, it leads me to love and enjoy my son. And when we see the blessings of creation and the blessings of pleasure and God has given us such good gifts, it doesn't lead us to just say, oh, I want to have these good gifts and walk away and keep these things and let these be my idol and my God and forget God. But no, it leads us to love God. It leads us to want to turn to God and enjoy God because God is the creator of pleasure. Oh, if God created beauty, then what is more beautiful than God? Oh, we see through a glass dimly now, and this is why it's hard for us, is because we can't see face to face our Savior, but one day we will. And on that day, the beauty of God will pale, uh, will make every other beauty pale in comparison. What allures you now is nowhere near as alluring as God. If God created the delights of sexual gratification, then God can supersede any delight that this world has to offer. If God created our mind, then God can satisfy us beyond our comprehension. And so the question is this, it's a matter of trust. Will you trust God? Will you have faith in this God? Will you have faith that God has the ability to fulfill you in the ways that this world cannot Turning to our many gods will kill us. Physically, they will kill you. When you think of overdoses, you think of diseases, you think of uh, uh, your body breaking down, your physical pursuit of pleasure will ultimately kill you if you allow it. Sometimes quicker than not, there was a man about a year ago, car accident on 695 on the Beltway. He swerved into oncoming, crash, uh, oncoming traffic, and he was immediately killed. And when they investigated the crash, they discovered pornography on his phone, and they determined he was looking at pornography when he swerved into incoming traffic. The point is this. He could not wait until he got home to his family before he saw one more image, just one more image, just one more video. Pleasure masters you. Pleasure controls you. Pleasure will kill you. And if not physically, spiritually. Listen, the pursuit of pleasure in this world, you, what you're doing is this. You are muting the very feeling that could drive you to a savior. All of this longing, all of this desire that you have, 
which is why you're turning to your weed, it's why you're turning to, to, to the food, it's why you're turning to your house, it's why you're turning to your lovers. All of this, these feelings that you have are meant to drive you to God. And what we're doing by worshiping pleasure is we are muting those feelings and saying, stop talking to me, stop talking to me, be quiet, be quiet, I don't wanna hear you. And some people are going to go to hell because they've muted those feelings their entire life by worshiping and idolizing pleasure. I'm trying to reason with you so that we see the stupidity of this kind of foolish lifestyle. Ask your longing soul this. Have you had enough? Have you been betrayed enough? Have you been lied to enough? You see, the world says, oh, just follow your heart. Well, the rich man followed his heart. Jesus encountered a rich man, and Jesus allowed him to walk away and to follow his heart, and he ended up in hell. You see, we don't need to follow our hearts. What we need is to cry out to God and say, give me a new heart. Give me a new heart. Give me a new desire. Give me new passions. And I'm telling you this, God has already worked so that you might have a new heart. Where your work fails, God has worked. Since these pleasures do not last, if the pleasures of yesterday do not satisfy your longings today, oh, turn to God. But God, but God, the, the, the scripture says God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. All through the Bible is God's promise that he will satisfy you. He will fulfill you. And some of you are here right now and you are feeling weak and wounded. And you're wondering, man, like I have already ruined my life. My body is already broke. My bank account is already broke. Like I've ruined my life seeking after pleasure. It's too late for me. I'm too lost. I'm too far gone. And if I just turn back to God now, he would be angry with me. He would never accept me. And what I want to tell you, friend, is that that is not the God that I serve. No, the God that I serve is a God who sees the prodigal and loves the prodigal turning to him. Oh, the prodigal, what did he do? The prodigal was, was, is a story of a young man who ruined his life seeking after pleasure. He went to the father and he said, hey, let me have my share of the inheritance. And then he took his share of the inheritance and he squandered it on all of the extravagance of life, seeking to find his fulfillment and pleasure. And it was all gone. It was all vanity. It was like a cloud that faded away. It was like a vapor that is here today and gone tomorrow. And he found himself broke and feeding the pigs with nothing. No friends, no pleasure, nothing. And he thinks to himself, I would be better off dealing with the punishment and the judgment of my father and being made a slave in his house than I would be to starve here watching the pigs eat. And so he determines to go home. And as he turns that corner, he sees his father. And the father has not come out to be angry with him. The father has not come out to judge him. The father has not come out to see, to say, I told you so. I told you so, you squandered it, I've told you so. 
But no, what he sees is his father's love. The father runs to the son. The son doesn't run to the father. The father runs to the son. And he embraces him and he kisses him on the neck. And then he throws him the biggest, most lavish banquet you can imagine and brings the son into his own pleasures by grace and by mercy. Oh, I'm telling you, saints, it is never too late to turn back to the Father. Even now, you feel like you've squandered everything. You've lost everything. What I'm telling you is this. Even if you believe that God is a God who is forever going to be angry with you, God is a God who is going to say, I told you so, and just slap you upside the head. What I'm telling you is this. As you turn to God with the smallest amount of faith, God will turn to you with the greatest amount of love. Oh, we are not saved because God finds us to be worthy of salvation. We're saved because God is worthy to save. We're not saved because God finds us mighty. We're saved because God is mighty to save. Oh, praise God, church. Praise God, church. Praise God that there is another voice. Not just the voice of Lady Folly in the streets, but there is the voice of wisdom, the voice of God, and God is wooing us, and He's beckoning us, and He is saying, come away with me. As you are out there chasing the delicacies of this world, God is coming after you, He's getting in front of your face, and He's saying, I've drawn you into my chamber. Come away with me into my, in, into my house. As you are out there spending all of your resources on vain pleasure, God is getting in front of you and God is beckoning you and wooing you and he's saying true rejoicing is with me. My love is better than wine. Don't you know that the one who created pleasure gave up pleasure so that we might know the pleasures of God. Jesus gave up all enjoyment so that we might have His. Jesus took on the emptiness of pleasure-seeking so that we might know this fullness of His pleasure. In the cross, Jesus dies, and what we see is the end of pleasure without God. Agony and death. He's naked. He's deprived. He's penniless, he's harmed, he's even killed. He gave up every possible pleasure that he could give up. He deprived himself of life. And why did he do it? So that we who will die may one day live. You see, and three days later, even for the pleasure seeker, with unlimited resources, they cannot solve the problem of death. Even the pleasure seeker with unlimited limited resources cannot solve the problem of depression and despair. Even the pleasure seeker with unlimited resources cannot solve the, pl- the problem of time's fleeting nature. Even the pleasure seeker with unlimited resources cannot Solve the fact that one day he or she will stand on the dark abyss of death's shore. The pleasure seeker one day will breathe their last on their deathbed. Oh, but God upholds me by his right hand. He holds me fast, church. He holds me fast. 
I wonder if you know that even the darkness is not dark to him. I wonder if you know that the dark is as light to him. Because three days later, he got up from the dead. For those of us who are ruined by the fall, run to Christ. Run to Christ. And as you turn to Christ, even with the smallest amount of faith, you'll see the Father running to you. And he wraps his arms around you and he kisses you on your neck. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of pleasure. That the pleasures that we have in you are far greater than anything this earth can provide. God, I pray that we would see that pleasure is a gift and not to be our God. That we would not run away with the lies that Lady Folly has told us and sold us. But that we will forever cling to Christ. Your grace, your mercy. And that we will hear and respond to your beckon, your woo. Come away with me. Come away with me. Let us run with you. Let us enjoy you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.